Father Emilio Sandoz is the only survivor of a Jesuit mission to the planet Racket, a soul looking for God. We first meet him in Italy, sullen and bitter. But he was not always this way. As we learn through flashbacks that tell the story of the ill-fated trip, the Sparrow tackles a difficult subject with grace and intelligence. It's time to treat yourself. Welcome to Treat Yourself, a book club podcast where each month we read a book and come together to discuss it. I'm Christina. And I'm Hannah. And today we will be discussing The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. Uh, and today we have a special guest with us. This book was recommended to me by my dear friend, Abigail Stone. And today we have her as a guest discussing this. I don't know if I just said that twice in a row, but she's here. Abigail, say hi. Hey, everybody. Excited to be here. Welcome, welcome. Well, we're going to start off with our non-spoiler review. Um, Abigail, since you're our honored guest why don't you go first Ooh, lucky me so you can probably guess that since i recommended this book i absolutely loved it um hated it (laughs) (laughs) we'll be fighting but a little bit later we'll get back to that (laughs) so there are a lot of things that i really really loved about this book uh so the first thing that really drew me in is the super realistic and complex characters, both the Riccati and the human characters, who we'll talk a little bit more later, and the just incredibly wonderful dynamic and loving relationships between the characters, especially between mm-hmm. the crew. Just, It's really, really touching and awesome to read such genuine relationships that feel so natural, both platonic and romantic. Mm. Coming back to, like, the plot, super engaging. It's got an awesome in-medius race beginning with two different timelines that go side by side, which builds tension in a really, really cool and interesting way. That highly, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, highly recommend if you're a fan of a non-standard narrative. You're going to really enjoy that, I think. Uh, last, really, really touching, beautiful writing. Especially if you're like me, I'm a huge mm-hmm. language and linguistics nerd, and there are just a lot of things that are just kind of a love letter to language in a lot of different ways, which really drew me in, and the details of it just blew my mind. Oh, nice. yeah. Absolutely. Ugh, so much to say to piggyback off that. But for now, <laughs> Hannah, what is your non-spoiler review? Oh, yay. Uh, so right up front, I do want to say that this book and our discussion today will have content warnings, uh, for sexual assault and rape. So just be cognizant of that, uh, going Mm -hmm. into this episode. And then what did I think? This book was kind of, eh. (laughs) Um, it it was fine. I loved the characters. I was invested in what was happening to them, at least at first, but then the pacing was really off for me. I, like, you know right from the beginning that this tragedy is going to occur, and then you don't get to it to the very end. And even then, it's mostly done off screen. <laughs> and, and yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this was purposeful to make the other tragic event that does happen on screen at the end more tragic. But it was honestly, like, a big letdown for me. 
because I was expecting mm-hmm. to feel devastated and to be sobbing and at like whatever the reveal ended up being. But instead, I was just kind of frustrated that it had taken so long to get to that reveal. <laughs> so, so yeah, I don't know. For me, it was just I kind can of totally see that kind of meh. It was it was not great, not terrible. It was it was a fine book. Huh. But Christina, what about you? Where do you fall on the spectrum? <laughs> <laughs> I really loved this book. Like, I just wanted, I want to read it forever. Like, oh, fun. it's just Aww. one of those books that, like, I just want to keep reading and reading and reading and reading. Like, the technical aspects were really interesting to me. Like, I loved when they were in space. I loved when they were in Naples. I loved when they were on Rakat. Is that what we're calling it? Racket? Good question. In my head, I've been calling it Rakat, but... Uh. You're linguist. You're going to hear it a lot of different ways in this podcast, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I loved, uh, I loved all the subtleties. I loved the world building. Um, I loved thinking of the Runa as, like, these furry little creatures. I mean, they weren't little. They were huge. <laughs> Um, so the opposite of what you were thinking. <laughs> exactly. But they were furry still. And, um, you know, but they had like really long claws and big teeth or maybe that was just the Junata. But mm. um, anyways, I really loved the book. I do agree with Hannah about the ending, but we can get into that later. And um, this book does have a sequel. So, you know, not that it can fix the ending, but, you know, maybe it can just help me stay in this world a little bit longer. It's exactly what I was thinking when you were saying, I just want to read it forever and forever. You've got another 500 yeah. pages of it. Just pick up the next book. <laughs> Exactly. No, but there are definitely some lines where I was like, oh, this is why Abigail loves it so much. <laughs> like, especially um, there was one I underlined where he was like, uh, where Emilio was like, do you know what the difference is between multilingual and linguist? And I was like, oh, <laughs> Abigail's all over this statement. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, I studied linguistics in college, and I cannot tell you how many people were like, how many languages do you know? And I'm like, that's not what linguistics is. So <laughs> one and a half. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I love this novel. I love like the technicality of it, I guess. I don't know. But that's like, I feel like that's how sci-fi novels are. They're a little bit more technical and Mm. specific, Mm -hmm. you know, and a little bit more drawn out. They're more about the journey than the destination. Yeah. Yeah. All right, folks, we're about to get into a spoiler-filled discussion. So if you haven't read The Sparrow and you want to in the future, stop listening right now and Go get the book at your local library or your local bookstore. Read it and come back. Because we're about to spoil it all. So um, this novel jumps between two timelines. 
The first that we start off with is in Rome in 2059. And we meet Emilio Sandoz, who is the only surviving member of an expedition to a planet called Rakat. We don't really know exactly what's wrong with him, but we know that he's really messed up. Mm -hmm. He has, like, some sort of radiation poisoning, possibly. He's just, like, all bloody, bruised. His hands are gross, but we don't know exactly why. Um, And they're sending in this man named John Candotti to meet and interview him and help him prepare for some sort of upcoming trial. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Emilio is really reluctant to talk to anyone. Um, we know that whatever happened is completely awful and unspeakable. Um, and I mean, already like just chomping at the bit to know what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like right away, just drawn in. Yeah, I agree. I was definitely very curious what was going on. I wanted to know the full story. I think... In chapter one, also after we meet John, we meet Volker, who oh, is yeah. like very much against Emilio right away and just straight away calls him a whore and a child killer and that he should be like put away. <laughs> and you're just like, what happened? <laughs> what happened exactly. to this Jesuit priest who went to space? Yeah. yeah. Volker is quite the trip. He's one of the few characters I genuinely dislike throughout Mm. most of this book. I think you're supposed to, right? Yeah. He's kind of a turd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't change that much towards the end. Like, ugh. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's still kind of a, just a terrible, I don't know. He's just kind of hardened, I guess. He believes what he believes. Mm. You can get the sense that he's very dogmatic and also kind of snivelly is the word that I would get for him. Yeah. yeah. I I pictured him looking a lot like Grima Warntongue, but slightly better, like, showered. <laughs> right. Just, just sort of greasy, yeah. kind of, like, annoying, obnoxious sort of person to listen to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. In that first chapter, too, we also get the introduction to Vincenzo Giuliani. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who is the leader of the uh, Jesuit organization in Rome. Who's... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For anyone listening, I'm also reading the sequel right now, and I still have not made up my mind about how I feel about Giuliani, even two books in. He's a very, very mm-hmm. complicated character with a lot to love and also a lot to hate at times. I know. I don't know how I feel about him either. I I kind of like him. Like, he seems sympathetic and helpful and like he relates a lot to Emilio like they come from similar upbringings and it's just the only difference between him and Emilio is money mm-hmm. like he came from money Emilio didn't but their parents are very similar you know yeah. both mm-hmm. mob bosses or in you know in gangs or you know, it was just the level, you know, mm-hmm. Emilio's dad's more street level and, you know, Vincenzo's dad is the leader of the Gamora or whatever. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> but I feel like he related a lot to him and was like, 
this could have been me, but also, like, he's trying to figure out what his deal is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I f- he's kind of hard to understand, but I kind of like him. Like he's from like a tough love. The one quotation I have written down from the first uh, chapter about him is that he was inclined to believe that the mission went wrong at its inception with the deci- decision to involve the women. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god! I forgot like, about that line. That's not great. <laughs> Never mind. Bye, Vincenzo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very traditionalist guy to give him the benefit of the doubt which he maybe does yeah. not at all deserve but you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he had known uh emilio when he was younger right i think the two of them went through seminary yes. together mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. and they always called emilio like god's chosen or god's favorite or something like that mm-hmm. yeah god's favorite which I think they mm-hmm. meant to be kind of, I'm sure that was meant to be said sarcastically. Like, yeah. oh, look at that goody mm-hmm. two-shoes. I bet he's God's favorite. But this is a good little piece of foreshadowing-ish, mm-hmm. at least in the important mm-hmm. role that he was going to play. Yeah. yeah. Kind of messed him up, probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably, yeah. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Gave him a complex. Yeah. <laughs> It made me think of a when I took a uh, Scandinavian uh, like Viking era literature class in college, and they talked about how you didn't say Odin's name aloud because if Odin chose you, like yeah, you were gonna have a pretty epic life, but it probably wasn't gonna last very long. Mm-hmm. So it felt like the sort of similar idea here of. Maybe he is touched by God, but God had some pretty dramatic, not particularly fun plans, even if they maybe were Mm -hmm. important. Also, um, I found myself because I knew that everyone was going to die. Every time something dramatic happened, I was like, this is when so-and-so dies. This is when (laughs) Mm -hmm. so-and-so dies. Mm -hmm. Like, throughout the entire novel, like, it didn't matter how early on it happened. I was like, they're going to get mortally wounded. And this is when their decline starts. Like, <laughs> I I don't know. It gave me like some sort of anxiety complex throughout the whole book. Mm. I was just like so scared for every single character. Right. So, I mean, I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised, you know, when they did survive the count- encounter, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. What a roller coaster this book was (laughs) say that again man Hmm? (laughs) um well chapter two um we go back in time 40 years right yeah yeah about yeah yeah 2019 anyways yes um to 2019 to the arecibo radio telescope in puerto rico and we learn more about emilio before the disastrous mission to ricot before it's even an idea Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah we meet jimmy and jimmy knows emilio i love jimmy so much (laughs) (laughs) it's hard not to love jimmy just 
big gangly nerd who's just he's just so sweet i will say there was a bit where i was like why does this author keep telling us how tall this man is i don't need to know how tall this man is and then you actually did need to know how tall he was so i was like yes fair enough i'll allow it but at the time i was like why why are we getting this description every single time Mm -hmm. oh my god yes (laughs) oh my god yeah i'll get to that later but yes I I felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learn more that he's a linguist here. How many languages? Um, Emilio actually does know a lot of languages, Abigail. No offense. So he's a linguist. <laughs> yeah, does he's know a- like 14 languages. Yeah, so. he's a better linguist than me by a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this chapter is mainly talking about like the artificial intelligence because Jimmy's been chosen to, like, basically have his brain mapped, I guess, oh, and, and yeah. like, have his um, work methods studied to create mm-hmm. some kind of AI program thing. But, yeah, and I think a lot of his conversation with Emilio, because Emilio himself had had that done in regards to, like, his specialty with, like, learning languages and linguistics and all of that put together. So... Like, they were chatting about it, and I think, I can't remember exactly, but I think Jimmy was trying to find a way where he could find, like, a happy medium of, like, not getting, like, not losing his work and not letting anybody else at his work lose their job while also getting this AI program figured out. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. he was trying to figure out how he can have both of those things at the same time. Yeah, Um, because he was basically looking at this as, they're making an AI replacement for me. Mm-hmm. So it can't be too mm-hmm. good so that they can actually get rid of me. But it would be nice if it made my job easier. Yeah. 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 Um, so chapter three, we jump back to Rome. Um, basically, they're trying to... So we're back to 2060. They're trying to get the real story out of him mm-hmm. as to, like, what happened. He is, like, so mentally and physically weak. He cannot, like, come to terms with what happened. He cannot verbalize what happened yet to himself, to the others. And... Everyone is, like, thinking the worst. I guess Mm -hmm. the public, like, part of the story came out to the public. And it's, like, the worst part of the story and, like, the vaguest part of the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the parts that stood out to me in some of this that I really appreciated was the talk of how Amelia was struggling with the languages people were speaking to him in. Yes. I thought that was a wonderful detail. mm -hmm. He was very particular about, I think it was English and Spanish Mm -hmm. were the only two that he was willing to speak with people, Um, which Mm -hmm. we don't get the full context into later, but I thought it was a super interesting look at how trauma can affect someone that has these kinds of skills. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he knows all these languages. He's super intelligent. We know this, like the last chapter just, told us how intelligent he was 40 years ago but we know that whatever trauma he went through he now can only 
like semi comprehend these languages mm-hmm. like part of the time you know like when he doesn't have like these crazy migraines pounding through his head you know yeah yeah the others he talks about mixing it's not like he's forgotten them but it's like he can't distinguish one from mm-hmm. the other anymore mm-hmm. right and like when he hears a language he's not sure what it is mm-hmm. exactly which we find out later it's probably due to how long he spent in isolation with just him and his thoughts and all of the many languages that he knew probably mixing and running around in his head. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, he had that, like, eight-month space journey Mm -hmm. back in the asteroid all by himself. Yeah. Oof. While he's, like, bleeding out. Yeah. You know, or, like, just severely injured, you know? Mm Mm-hmm really puts like my quarantine into context right like well it's not that bad (laughs) right (laughs) exactly i'm not hurtling through space in an asteroid Mm -hmm. exactly oh um oh yeah this chapter also candody i don't know if i'm saying his name right either but he makes these like specialized glove for sandoz Mm -hmm. um that help you know that are supposed to, like, help him grip things and stuff. Um, but it's so weird because, like, they haven't explained really, like, what happened to his fingers mm-hmm. yet at this point. So, like, when they describe the gloves, I'm like, I, like, cannot picture what's happening right now. Like, that I makes really me had feel a better. hard time picturing. <laughs> yeah, I really had a hard time picturing what was going on because I was like, I yeah. don't know the procedure that I don't know what happened to his hands. <laughs> Because it wasn't until many chapters later where I was finally like, oh, now I think I have a picture of what his hands look like in my head. And I wasn't sure if that was, like, on purpose or if I had just completely missed the description of his hands earlier. Because, uh, yeah, it took me a while to realize what the aliens had done to his hands. I, I struggled with that, too. It's really not until we got, like, the explanation of what happened that you can figure it out you just kind of know they're useless but like there's mm-hmm. a lot of different ways for your hands to not work yeah you know they're useless yeah. and you know like his fingers like see are long yeah i think i think you get that yeah. description also mm-hmm. that sounds right but some are missing maybe i don't know Ooh. or there's gaps or i don't I know i don't remember them missing same i thought they were all know. there but, i thought they were like but like yeah super elongated like, yeah like, now knowing, like, I basically imagine, like, someone takes the end of your finger and just stretches it as far as it goes with some horrible machine. I think that's what it basically was. Okay. I thought, like, they, like, cut off a finger and, like, stacked it on the end of it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you see, I got something different, too. The way I thought about it was, like, he didn't really have his palms necessarily as much anymore. Like, they cut down into it and... That's how his fingers are long, and they don't have the nerves anymore. Oh, oh. I think and yours that's is why they're all floppy. okay. That actually kind of makes sense <laughs> yeah. to me too. I think yours is probably the closest to what she meant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now hearing it, who knows? Anyways, <laughs> so since we described kind of what was going on, it's like a cosmetic procedure that they do to de- like kind of help. It's like a visual definition of their class to be like, Mm. 
hey, I don't need to do anything myself. I have servants that do it all for me. So look, I can do this mutilation to my hands and it's beautiful to, I don't know, it's beautiful in my culture. And mm-hmm. well, it's a little bit, well, it's, it's sort of class. It's something that only the upper class would have done. Right? But we find out later that it's also a punishment. Yeah. It's something that happens oh. to force you to be in in the care of somebody else. Like you mm-hmm. are no longer able to care okay. for yourself. Um especially with the Vanaata, how crucial it is to have their claws and the usage of that. Yeah. So to lose them mm-hmm. is I think very emasculating is basically what it's supposed to be. Okay. Gotcha. Cause I just remember the one line of like people doing it to their friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be if somebody is going to go to prison or be executed for some crime, if you are wealthy enough, you can basically Uh, pay and say, I will take this person into my care. They will be completely dependent on me and I'm completely responsible for them. mm -hmm. And then this procedure is done. Oh, that's exactly what happened here. Mm -hmm. Do we want to skip ahead in the earlier timeline to when um, Jimmy finds the recording from Rakat? Yeah. Unless there's more. So basically, so we meet Sofia Mendez. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So she is there when the recording is discovered. Mm-hmm. So if we describe real quickly who Sofia Mendez is, she's part of this program. So in 2019, there's some sort of like intellectual prostitution program it's a good way to describe it which is it's how they describe it in the book but it's kind of like the next step from up from student loans where you want an education but you're in debt to a person instead of like a company and you work fulfilling contracts to the specific person but i think she also was in prostitution before she was bought by this guy mm-hmm. yep um so she was like a child prostitute and then she was bought by this guy who offered her an education in exchange for this intellectual prostitution contract Mm-hmm. where she is then indebted to him for X amount of years. I think it was like 30-something or whatever. Um, and she has to go fulfilling these work contracts. That's how she meets Emilio Sandoz um, in Puerto Rico, I believe. Or Cleveland. In Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland. Possibly. <laughs> yeah, Cleveland. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... Um, I don't know. She's some sort of programmer, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's an AI specialist. Um, and yes, I really appreciated the way they described the AI program that she did. Uh, it's I'm, I'm a software engineer now, and it's a lot more realistic to how something like this would actually work if it existed. So instead of her sitting down and just going oh i know how to do this and like quickly coding something up right she spends months and months and months interviewing the people so that mm-hmm. she understands their mm-hmm. processes so that she can turn them into code but it's like how long does she spend interviewing emilio like six months or something crazy like that 
Oh my god, a really <laughs> long so. time. August, well, a really long time. Yeah, it, it was a while. <laughs> So yeah, so, so she was there for a while, and, and then again, this is how Jimmy comes up with his grand plan of, aha, I'm gonna get the best of both things, I'm gonna, like, set some kind of, like, bet with Sophia, like, if she can get it in a certain amount of time, then I think her contract basically gets, like, paid off, and then... If it doesn't, then he just gets these, like, two years of work with, like, a university or something. I don't know. Anyway, he has some kind of plan where it'll kind of benefit both of them. But then, of course, everything changes once they find the alien signal. Because <laughs> she's like, oh, yes. man, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to program that. <laughs> Darn you, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Almost exactly what she says, I think. Like, well, hmm. I'm good, but I'm not that good. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, so... They find an alien signal. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it's a song. Yes. Yeah. It's... No one says if it's beautiful or ugly singing. It's just singing. I think Anne later says that she finds a kind of haunting beauty in it. Mm. Okay. Probably, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So, and Anne and George are um, Emilio's friends. They're an older couple from Cleveland. Um, Sophia and Jimmy are also friends with them, so they're part of their group. Mm -hmm. And so when Jimmy discovers the the signal, he brings all of them into the room, kind of secretly, like, sneaks them past security and they're the first ones to hear the signal. Um, and then, like, Emilio right away is like, let's go find this yeah. planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, I don't know. Wait, is this when they're like, oh, it's only about four light years away? Do they figure that yeah. out, like, right away? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think George and Jimmy do a lot of, like, calculations, and, and they're all like, yeah, this is possible. And Sophia's like, yeah, I mean, I know people who do, like, asteroid mining, so yeah, it's totally possible. And Anne's just like, what are you all doing? <laughs> you yes. stupid people need to stop this now. <laughs> Okay, I'm totally with Anne throughout all of this. Okay, so they spend like 18 months preparing to go up in this asteroid to go to this planet that's four light years away. So they figure out it'll take eight months for them to get there, which, uh, Abigail, do you remember like the time difference? So it'll take eight months for them to get there. How many years on Earth is that? I don't have that written down, and there's no way I know that off the top of my head. Um, I think it's 17 years. I think it's 17 years. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, So their eight months journey is 17 years on Earth. Anyways, so I'm like, these are a bunch, bunch of Jesuit priests and then a bunch of laymen. So anyways, I just think, like, this crew's totally underexperienced. Sophia, like, okay, AI specialists, they teach her to be a pilot in mm-hmm. 18 months. Whew. Okay. All right. They bring in this guy, D.W. Yarborough. Mm-hmm. Or Yar... Yeah, Yarborough. I love him so much. Okay, I love him. And then also, they are so mean about his crooked eyes. 
They're very like, mean about him. They, they really mention are. it every chance they get. Every chance they get, they mention it. Like, Anne is like, like, oh my god. Every chance Anne gets, she talks about his eyes. Like, Sophia and DW, like, they become really close and are friends. And, like, at first I thought, like, it was, like, kind of like a love thing. And mm-hmm. she was like, who do someone so ugly could find someone <laughs> so pretty as Sophia or something like that? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. It was rude. There were, like, Beauty and the Beast comparisons. I was like, yes. come on. There were. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. He can't help that his eyes are crooked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and... <laughs> Jeez. Right. I was highly offended. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since Anne. Oh, well, Sophia never says it. She's the much nicer of the two and is also easily the most attractive person on this crew. Mm. We get a lot of emphasis exactly. on that. But I get the impression that Anne is a very good looking woman too, who's just now in her sixties. So for her to be yeah. like I'm super pretty. Oh, you're really ugly. It was one of the few moments of Anne that I was like, Oh, come on, girl. What's that? I know. Mm -hmm. I know. It made me, like, kind of not like her a little bit. Especially, like, when they first got on the... There were some comments that I was like, ugh. Yeah. But yeah, I think the thing is with this crew is, yeah, they're all... (laughs) It's just like a hodgepodge type of crew. And a lot of it is because they're kind of doing this under the table. Because they're doing it with, like, the Jesuits and only them. And... Like, they're the ones who are funding it. And I don't think... I think it takes, like, a couple years before anybody else finds out that... Or, like, at least a year before anybody else finds out that this mission is happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy who sells them the asteroid sells them out in, like, two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Which, to be fair, should have seen that one coming, guys. Yeah. I know, right? Right. I mean, come on. I just had to keep reminding myself that this is, like, a sci-fi novel. And, like, anything is possible... I mean, they're flying to this planet in a freaking asteroid. <laughs> like, not like everyone in this mission is going to be like a physicist or, you know, um, totally qualified, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to accept it. The mission's going to be fine. They only have two pilots. It's okay. Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Like, George can kind of fly. It's okay. Um, You know, and, uh, you know, Mark Robichaux or whatever, he's a naturalist. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. Um, Because they're going to a new planet. And so that makes sense. But, you know, it would be nice to have at least one physicist in there. (laughs) How about one person who'd been to space before? I was wondering where that person was. Yeah, right. that is a good point. I know DW's like, I could, you know, landing this, uh, you know, the lander or whatever will be kind of similar to flying this, you know, yeah, he, blah, blah, blah. I don't know plane names. He was a fighter was like, pilot, right? The army yeah. in his younger days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, you have never, what? You've never flown one of these things before? Like, they made it sound like flying asteroids was, like, a normal thing these days, you know? And I was like, wait, so, like, no one in this group has flown an asteroid before. Okay, it's fine. (sighs) Probably should have been the first sign of, like, well, yeah, makes sense that there was only one survivor. They weren't great prepared. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. I definitely made a note. I was like, well, you know, this is probably where everything mm-hmm. went wrong. <laughs> well, I, I think the book even makes a, a special point of pointing out that, like, the asteroid ship, like, George is talking to Anne about it, and he's like, don't worry, it's self-navigating on the return trip. It'll all be fine. So it's, like, kind of just trying to be like, <laughs> like, don't worry, we know these people are super unqualified. <laughs> They're all gonna die. It's fine. If all the pilots are killed, it's okay. We can still navigate back home. (laughs) Oh, God. At least they planned for the worst. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. So, otherwise, seems like a foolproof plan. Anne was very concerned about everybody's sex lives. Oh, she really was. Very much so. <laughs> I did enjoy Anne and her very sex positive outlook on things. <laughs> I did too. But yeah, she was very concerned about everybody's. And there was a time, I, we skipped over this development, where like she was making eyes at Emilio. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my and god. And finally oh, they oh. decided that they had a more like mother-son relationship. But it took a good amount of pages for that to be decided. That was at the beginning of the book, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't even know... Sh- that was before we met George, even, I think. My- and she was like, why don't you come over for dinner? And then George was there, and I was like, wait, hold on. What's mm-hmm. happening? <laughs> the inviting him over for dinner part, right? That was Anne and George's thing. Um, so Anne and George were mm-hmm. like, they're both older, they're retired, mm-hmm. and they're like the older retiree couple that's just super outgoing and loves people so like they have every friday they have a dinner party at their house and the guests rotate there are some people that come all the time some people that just come randomly so this one Anne was taking a class that amelia was teaching and basically was like hey come over for dinner party friday you seem like you had had interesting conversations then she was not Mm -hmm. wrong and that's when i thought she was hitting on him Oh, she definitely was. There were there were a bunch of different times where she was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways. Oh, okay. So, who are the Jesuits on this crew? All right. So, our crew has eight people, right? And I think four, mm-hmm. yeah, four of these people are Jesuits. The four Jesuits yeah. are Emilio yep. Sandoz, uh, of course, D.W. Yarbrough, who is mm-hmm. the father superior of the mission and the de facto mm-hmm. leader of the group. Mark Robichaud, who's our naturalist, and Alan Pace, our musicologist, and honestly the most boring member of the crew, in my personal opinion. <laughs> he doesn't he get was to a late do a addition. Lot. No. <laughs> yeah. Poor Alan. And then our. Yeah, he was a late addition and a replacement for someone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know he's going to be the first to go. He's the red shirt. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> we don't care about him. We don't know who he is. He's not part of the group. Yep. Mm hmm. Anybody. He's the red shirt. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> so then our four non-Jesuits are Anne and George, who we mentioned before. Anne is a doctor. George is an engineer. And they're an older mm-hmm. married couple in their early 60s, I believe, who befriended Emilio. Mm-hmm. And he convinced them to move down to uh, Puerto Rico to mm-hmm. basically be good people and help out the poor community that he grew up in. Yeah. Then our, yeah. our last two, of course, are Jimmy, our closest to an astrophysicist that we have on this group, mm-hmm. and Sophia. 
And Sophia, I feel, is worth mentioning that she is Jewish and identifies pretty strongly with her Jewish heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I did appreciate they make a very good point of not pressuring her about their religion. There's a lot of very mm-hmm. good mutual respect that's going on with this diverse mm-hmm. group. Um, They did, like, cross-train everyone. Um, <clears throat> So basically, they, like, live on this... Uh, on this asteroid for eight months i kind of was appreciative that the chapters kind of like skipped through it because i feel like it's a boring eight months Mm -hmm. they eat they play poker um there's some weird interactions between emilio and sophia that i don't really understand he doesn't like sit next to her for like a year yeah well yeah i mean (laughs) they've been like having this attraction with each other for a while like we skipped over the parts where jimmy like realizes they have an attraction and he's all sad because he's attracted to sophia and he's like how is this fair he's a priest (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's not okay um and of course Anne's in the middle of all of it and she's like they're there, Jimmy, but also being like, yeah, Sophia and Emilio. <laughs> she shits them so hard. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. To be fair, I oh did, too, God. so I get it. But <laughs> I know. For real. I feel like they had so many more connections than Sophia and Jimmy, but... I mean, they were still cute, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, whatever. They're, like, the last remaining group of people in their own little world. So, there's going to be drama. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty tame <clears throat> as far as drama goes. Like, a couple of hurt... Like, like you mentioned, Jimmy was sad. But he also was like, you know, Sophia gets Fine. to pick. She's <laughs> yeah. crushing on him. I can't really change that. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, there was, like, a whole chapter where... I wrote, like, the only note was Jimmy is lonely. <laughs> yeah. Like, on the ship. I know exactly which chapter you're talking about. <laughs> and Anne is basically like, uh, you didn't think, like, any of this was guaranteed. Like, any relationship with Sophia was guaranteed, right? Like, when you signed up for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, she's really good about tough love. <laughs> that she is. Yep. Poor Jimmy. Um, <laughs> so as like they're hurtling through space on an asteroid, um, we go back or we go forward through mm-hmm. time to Naples. They moved him from Rome to Naples. A little less busy down there. Still kind of crazy. But anyways, uh, Naples is where uh, Vincenzo. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Giuliani? Yeah. Yep um feels most at home um this next chapter we find out uh that sandoz did kill a child and i don't oh yeah this is where he does say it's all true but it's all wrong so the first of the trials or the inquisitions has started at this Mm -hmm. point and it sounds scary, and Emilio is scared, plainly scared. But um, really, they're just trying to figure out what happened, and he's being really dramatic about it. But, I mean, and they are, like, being a little bit accusatory. But honestly, he just needs to come out and just say what happened instead of waiting for them to, like, read these horrifying reports from 
these third parties that weren't even there, you mm-hmm. know? Because, yeah. yeah, they are getting, like, this information from this group that traveled to the planet after them, like, and and mm-hmm. they, of course, found Emilio in, like, the worst possible position and made all of these assumptions, and that's what all of the uh, Jesuits are going off of during these hearings. Um, we find out later that it's because they just didn't even share the information in the reports yeah. Which is just so frustrating. <laughs> I, and I feel like that's probably what Emilio is feeling. He's like, I wrote down, like, we wrote down pretty much the majority of our mission. Like, you know the beginnings of this. You know this isn't, like, where we were going. This wasn't the intention of things. But you're just jumping mm-hmm. to this, like, what these people saw in this, like, one five-minute interaction <laughs> of, of seeing... Well, yeah. yes, I mean, they do see him kill a child. Yeah. And that is very confusing (laughs) but i don't know they just immediately go and just are blaming him for everything Mm -hmm. i don't know this is also when they found out that amelia was basically in a brothel right yeah um Mm -hmm. as working as a prostitute not as a patron Mm -hmm. yep and i think it's really frustrating because it's or at least I wrote down my notes that it's very clearly implied that he was raped while, like, quote-unquote, working at this brothel. And so it was just really frustrating mm-hmm. having all of these people just do all of this victim-blaming of, like, you made this choice, like, you're just this prostitute who's in this brothel, and, like, this is what happens, and you have to mm-hmm. stand and get your, um, like, comeuppance for this, and it's just, like, no... <laughs> Agreed. That's not what happened. Especially, it's, yeah, exactly. As the only human left, like you have to think, even if he did choose, even if he had complete agency, like he was in some pretty dire straits. Was super yeah. desperate, right? <laughs> that's that's assuming the best case scenario, which we find out is not even close to what happened at all. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Especially like and ah. Uh, Like, this is another point against Vincenzo, like, him allowing all of this to happen and allow them to do, allow Emilio to sit through all Mm -hmm. of this when he has the proper documents Mm -hmm. and the documents of everyone calling Emilio a saint and everything that led up to this happening It's just crazy. Like, to think that he could fall so far, so fast. Like, do you think that's really true? Like, do you think that all of this was really his choice? And, like... Yeah. Especially... I don't know. Especially knowing that Giuliani had those documents, and he was the one who chose not to release them. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he's the reason the rest of the world doesn't know what happened to Emilio. And the only report they have is the sensationalized one from the second Mm -hmm. crew. Yeah, and not even, like, I need to, like, I don't want the rest of the world seeing this. They're not ready. It's like, you can't even release it to this council that's, like, haranguing him right now. Like, you can't just, like, let them see this so they can, like, chill out for a second and, like, come into this trial knowing all the information. Yeah. Like, it's just ridiculous. Poorly planned council. Poorly mm-hmm. planned. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I feel so terrible for him. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but this second mention, or the second mission that Hannah mentioned, 
It's called the Magellan Mission. So this is the one that was sparked because um, the man that sold him, the crew the asteroid uh, tattled on them. I don't mm. know. <laughs> Gave up the secret mission to uh, the world government or whatever major government. I guess it was the UN. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gave up the details of the mission to the UN, and so they immediately started launching their own mission. Um, the Magellan mission landed near Kashan, which was the city or the ta- village where uh, the Stella Marie landed. Um, Supari uh, took them in, and it sounded like there were only two crew. Were there only two crew members that made it that far? Or just two that rode in? I think two, just two that rode in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And And that was like, uh, that was Wu and Trevor Eiley. Yeah. And we should probably mention who Supari is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So Supari Vagaiger is the member of one of two sentient alien species that live on this planet. Uh, The two species are the Runa, who live in Kashan, the village where the Stellamari lives and spends most of their time and the Vana'ata and these are a predator-prey relationship that these two sentient species have right the Runa are mm-hmm. kind of like deer they're, they're vegetarians mm-hmm. they live in large groups they're very 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 social with one another um, to the point that the humans find it obnoxious and yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I like and the Vana'ata are much much more similar to humans in a lot of ways. These are the predator species. They're a little bit more intelligent than the Runa seem to be, engage in slightly more interesting conversation. And Supari Vagager is the first Janaata that both crews meet, and for a very long time is the only Janaata that anyone from the Stella Marie comes into contact with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great explanation, Abigail. Thank you. Yeah, so when the Magellan lands, the Janata and the Runa people are fighting, which Supari tells them is because of the previous mission. Um, and, you know, it's all their fault that our people are fighting. They've never fought before, ever, ever, ever. Um, <laughs> and then, so Oskama, who is a child guide, Finds Wu and Trevor Eiley and eventually leads them to Sandoz, who's in the brothel. Mm-hmm. Um, Sandoz immediately kills Askama. We don't know why. It seems like he knows her. We'll find out later that he does and that they're super close. You know, she was the first translator for them. They t- She taught them... Um, the Runa language, and she was like a child to Sandoz. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right away, like, I mean, they just say that we think that they thought that he knew her, and right away you're like, Ugh, well, if he knows her, like, I, I just right away didn't think that Emilio, like, there was another explanation for yeah. why he would have killed her. You know, like, I just wouldn't believe that it was, like, something that he did maliciously, you know? Mm-hmm. It's clear there's more to the story. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so the Magellan stays until civil unrest grows. They decide to head back home where they're so they're ex- escorted back to their ship by Sapari, but then they're never heard from again. Yeah. Never. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe we find out in book two. I was just saying, anyone who's read the sequel does. Um, yeah, but then the Stella Marie, Stella Marie, I don't know. I went with the Catholic pronunciation, but, um, they find a planet and they land on it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a rough landing, (laughs) (laughs) but it's gorgeous. They land away from people. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, it seemed like they had a lot of conveniences as well, like the lander or, you know, the little tiny jet thing mm-hmm. in the plane that they could just put together and conveniently fly anywhere that they wanted to. So it's not like they would have to walk anywhere crazy. Um, I thought they chose correctly. I didn't think that they were going to land in the forest because... Based on the Magellan Mission's report, I thought for some reason that they landed in Kashan. Like, it made it sound like that's where they had landed. So I was like, oh, I don't know. I feel like they're going to land in Kashan, and then that's just how it's going to be. But, and that's when they get killed and everyone dies. (laughs) If they don't die on the landing. Believe me, every single move in this book, I was like, they're going to make the wrong choice, (laughs) then they're going to die. Right. This is how it's going to be. It's <laughs> literally where I played the, wait, I'm only halfway through the book. They can't all die yet because there's half a book left. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. But like, who knows how long, like if, well, like they could still just kill off one or two and then the rest have to yeah. die, you know? That's true. There's enough people in the group that they could slowly kill them off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, like, once they're on the planet, they're having lots of fun identifying all the weird animals, which they give all weird names. I didn't really get that part. Um, <laughs> I don't you know. Wouldn't be giving, and, Christina, you would totally be giving things weird names. I mean, I totally would. But, like, I had a hard time following it in the book. <laughs> <laughs> that was one thing. I never had a clear picture, I felt like, of what the world looked like. At least, like, the animal, the flora and fauna. Mm. Yeah, same, I liked, same, I same. could picture the double sun that they talked about, um, mm-hmm. which was really cool, and the, like, the red sky when the one sun that only gives off, like, UV red mm-hmm. light is up. That I could picture, but, like, I was honestly just picturing trees and grass and normal animals, because I couldn't think of anything else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same. And then, like, Kashan, maybe, like, a little bit more deserty for some reason. Oh, because of cliff dwellings. It's in cliffs, yeah. 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 This is the chapter where they choose Jimmy to be the one to test all of the food, because he's big and strong, and sure, he'll probably survive if they're poisonous. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You all are so stupid, but also, I guess, like, what else are you supposed to do? There's probably something else you could do, but sure. I mean... Sure, that's that would be my rule too. Here, chew on this, but don't swallow it. (laughs) 
spit it back out. And then maybe later you can swallow it. <laughs> Don't suck the juice out of the legs. Oh my god, never do that again. <laughs> it didn't surprise me that it didn't occur to them until they got to the planet to figure that out. That seems like something they should have planned mm-hmm. oh, for gosh. in advance. Yeah. I, yeah. Also, being like, you know, five foot nothing, I definitely would choose the tallest person to be the taste tester. <laughs> True. My little body couldn't handle food poisoning. <laughs> I was surprised that Robichaud, the naturalist, didn't have, like, I don't know, have brought stuff to test the food to, like, yeah. look for, you know. I- I assume we don't know the periodic table could get any bigger, but like you can figure out some of the basics and be like, oh, that one has arsenic. Don't eat that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, like there aren't like pH test strips that you could do and be like, this is really acidic. You probably shouldn't eat this. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Like there's got to be something like that. I don't know. There's definitely a better way to do this than what they did. Literally (laughs) anything before Jimmy just eat it. Mm-hmm. But you know yeah. what? It turns out kind of fine until I Alan, mean, Alan dies. Pace <laughs> uh, mysteriously dies, so I'm not sure if it really worked out for him. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's one of those things where it's very unclear how and why Alan died, and I think that's the point. Like, just death sometimes happens, and you just have to accept it. But still, it's just for that to happen in the chapter where it's like, this is how we're testing our food. It's like, hmm, hmm, yeah, I wonder what happened to him. Agreed. And it did feel like it made sense, too, in the context, like, you know, with how wildly unprepared they were for, like, eating food. Yeah. And even a Mm -hmm. much more better prepared group, I could see it being like, the cause of death, I just can't figure out. Like, I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Like his heart failed, but I can't tell you why his heart failed because I don't have all the fancy machinery I would need to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, I felt really bad for Anne; like she took it really hard. But you're just not going to know everything sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor Alan, that no one liked or even knew anything about. <laughs> he was around for a couple chapters. Yeah, <laughs> didn't exactly. do anything. I nothing, Tim. Sorry, Alan. <laughs> I think the only note I wrote about him was that he wanted to go straight to the city because, you know, he's the one who knows all about the music. He wants to go straight to that source, but otherwise, yeah, not much. He still never heard that music. Never heard the music. Anyways, so the next chapter, we go forward in time Mm -hmm. and uh, we learn about... the hand procedure officially even though we kind of already went over it Mm -hmm. but we learn about the day that it actually happened yeah so the person who did it was supari so he took in uh emilio and mark Mm -hmm. so we know Emilio and Mark were the only ones to survive at the end. Yeah, they're the ones who make it the farthest. Yes. Um, we know something happens. I don't know. I just further every time Mark went with someone though, from that point forward, I was like, okay, then they both might survive <laughs> this encounter. Fair enough. <laughs> but 
anyway, yeah, we find out. Uh-oh. So they both get the hand procedure done, but Mark doesn't stop bleeding. So he ends up dying from it. And then I had written mm-hmm. down the quotation, was there anything you ate that Mark didn't? What if Mark developed scurvy? And I realized later that was a very important quotation to write down. So I'm going to pat myself on the back for that. <laughs> yeah. Very, very well done. <laughs> yeah. Because, yep, there is something that he ate that Mark did not. And it's icky. Yeah. It was not scurvy yep. developed, though. Just anemia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Scurvy was a good guess, though, honestly, on their part. Mm. Yeah, and we also find out that whatever is going on with Mark, like, he wasn't even the one who gave the consent for the procedure, that Emilio is the one who gives the consent because he trusts uh, Supari, and that, of course, because of what ends up happening to Mark and then what ends up happening with his own hands, he clearly blames himself for all of that and is feeling incredibly guilty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is... And it's all um, a misunderstanding of the linguistics of it. So it actually does become kind of interesting when Emilio starts to go into the linguistics of it to the council. That's when he says that one um, uh, remark, like, do you understand the difference between being multilingual and and a linguist? Um, Because he misunderstands Apari's word of the procedure mm-hmm. um it's like to become like a vine or something like that yeah the hasta akala mm-hmm. right Ooh, i didn't write down the name of the vine if either of you guys did it's it's something like a- akala i think yeah yeah i think it was something just like akala that. yeah and uh, poor Emilio. He doesn't even figure it out until that scene when he's retelling the story, right? Yeah. Where he says, Supari, yeah. Mm-hmm. He took him to see these vines and he's showing them and describing basically, look how the way they drape and the similarity mm-hmm. to the fingers of the Jana Atta. And Emilio's like, oh, okay. And he explains mm-hmm. something about being, you know, in his debt and staying with him. Yeah. And I had I had written down the word means to be made visibly and physically dependent on someone stronger. And so, like, at that point, you know, it's like, oh, okay, like, you're going to give us some type of sanctuary. Like, sure, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so Emilio thought he was offering, like, this protection and hospitality. And so because of that, he trusts him that, like, this procedure is going to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. But then it wasn't. Yeah. And, of course... Supari, that is how we intended it, right? I'm offering you sanctuary mm-hmm. just with this slight caveat. Um, yeah. Not realizing how much worse this procedure is for humans compared to Jana mm-hmm. Atta. Yeah. So Mark and Alan Pace are dead. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Poor Mark. Mark was the sadder of the two for sure. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Not at the time that it was introduced in the storyline. Mm-hmm. But, which is kind of strange to say. Um, but when it's reintroduced, when it does actually happen real time, it is really sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that goes back to one of the things you didn't like, Hannah, right? The weird pacing where the, mm. the significance of this doesn't hit you until the end of the book, basically. Mm-hmm. And I will say, like, mm-hmm. Mark is the one because it is more, like, on screen. We do get to see a full scene of, of what is happening, what leads to that. So that one is very impactful. It's just what happens with the rest of the crew <laughs> is very much yeah. not. 
which again yeah. could be on purpose to make that scene with Mark and Emilio all that more like mm-hmm. emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they make contact. So we're back in 26 or I'm sorry, 20. I think it's around 2040 now. Yeah. Um, but we're back on racket racot. Um, month two of them being on the planet, they finally make contact. So they go to Kashan. It's a cliff dwellings type village. Um, they don't see any people. Um, they get there via solar plane. They they can build from. They can like put together on the planet. Super convenient, as I said earlier. Um, but this is where we meet Askama. She's super cute. Um, she helps them learn the language. And yeah, she gets really close with Emilio. And she becomes like his little girl, his little child. She's mm-hmm. always like curled up in his lap or in George's lap. Like, she's just always there. <laughs> she's always having arguments with Emilio because he's always pushing her to like continue the language lessons. And she's like, mm-hmm. Ugh, it's just a glass. Like, Ugh, I don't care about the specifics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I love that she calls him Milo. Um, mm-hmm. We got, it, it seems to be pretty clear that the Janat and the Runa, they, in their language, they don't have any words that start with a vowel sound. They always seem to struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Which I think is why mm-hmm. she refers to him as Milo, but it's just so cute. Oh my god! Yes. All the times where she just doesn't her name start with a vowel sound? Askama? Oh, yeah, it does. That's a good question then, because <laughs> Supari can't pronounce Sorry. Anne either. Why not? He calls her Ha. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I understand what you were saying. Uh... But it's just a bit weird because her name starts with a vowel sound. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's the type of vowel sound. Oscama is a little bit different than Anne or Emilio. They're a little bit harder mm-hmm. than Osk. Yeah. They might be able to say the unstressed uh sound and not be able mm. to say an eh or an ah as well. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hmm? Either way, mm-hmm. it's cute as crap, and I don't mind. <laughs> yes. But this moment is, like, super special for Emilio. He, like, so the village is completely empty, so they're exploring the village when all of a sudden they see this group of people walking down the street. So they're like, oh, these are the aliens. We're finally going to meet the aliens. Emilio, like, runs ahead to meet them, basically. And... They're like super receptive of him and it's the they're super tall and it's clearly the adults on the outside. The children are in the center of the group and they just right away are like, hey, hey, like, let's start learning each other's languages. And Askama is like this representative of the group and she's... I don't know. You can tell. Well, you can't tell, but like, it's just a special moment between her and Emilio right mm-hmm. away, and everyone's super happy. And the rest of the group watching on. DW writes this later. Like, this is when Emilio kind of looks like he takes on the sainthood 
type figurehead. Like, mm-hmm. he just looks like he's in his element. Like, this is what he was created for. Yeah, agreed. It's one of those moments where knowing how bad things get, you're like, oh, how did things get so screwed up? They're so mm-hmm. they're so good at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I was like, how does everyone die? <laughs> this is so nice. <laughs> it must just be from, like, you know, normal events that happen, like childbirth and stuff. Mm. <laughs> well, I love comes a little bit later but the quote about why it is that things went wrong i think it comes from giuliani where he says the mission he thought probably failed because of a series of logical reasonable carefully considered decisions each of which seems mm. like a good idea at the time Hmm. yep that's exactly why it fails mm-hmm. but you feel that in this moment it's just so happy and everyone's trying to be happy and do basically do the right thing and be considerate yeah. of their impact on this planet Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> well, so those are the Runa that they meet. They're trading people. And uh, they're required to know many languages to do business. So that's their, why they're right away, like, picking up on English. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, right away, like, hey, learn this language, you know. They go through, like, a million languages at first to see if, you know, mm-hmm. these aliens you know foreigner humans like know any of those languages i don't know it's a really cute interaction i love it Mm -hmm. it's a great first interaction Mm -hmm. yeah and then dw gets sick okay (laughs) this is something where it's very minor but like Anne and dw are having this conversation and we find out that dw himself is gay and then mm-hmm. instantly he like starts coughing and i'm like he's about to die they're gonna kill him off right after he reveals that he's gay <laughs> this is terrible how dare you and he doesn't <laughs> die right away so i guess it's fine but it was really frustrating that as soon as he has this like heart-to-heart conversation and, and talks about his sexuality that it's like well now he's marked for death because <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's coughing away oh man <laughs> poor dw oh man <laughs> this illness lasts with him for so long so he's just yes he's just sick he's not like He's not on his deathbed, but he's not feeling very good. And some days are better than others. But for so long, like, can this guy catch a freaking break? Mm-hmm. Come on. I feel like he has cancer. Maybe. Because Maybe. they can't, like, really detect it. She's treating it with, like, antiparasitics and antibacterials. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to cure cancer, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um... And DW is the oldest of the group, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what I was thinking. And I was like, again, going back to all the exposure to radiation. Plus, I really do think Emilio was fighting radiation sickness at the beginning. Like, I think they said that. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I think, like, they did have some minor exposure. Um, at least, like, at some point during their journey. And... Um, if he is like the oldest of the group, which I do think he was, like I mm-hmm. did write that down, but um, then it could just be cancer, and it's just his time to go, you know. Yeah, yeah. We never really find. I mean, we never get any sort of clarity on what it was he was sick with. Neither just the group. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
I mean, there's no doctors left after he dies. Yeah. But uh, his sickness sparks uh, a desire to fly back to their original camp uh, to get some more medical supplies. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I'm surprised they didn't decide to fly back and, like, get the rest of their stuff before now. But I guess it's only been, like, seven weeks or something. Mm-hmm. But even after only seven weeks, they fly back and the runway is totally grown over with vines and everything. Yeah. seems doesn't seem like a long time for it to already be, like, so grown over. Yeah. It's an alien planet, though. That was one exactly. I was willing to allow. Like... They've got two sons and long days. Maybe stuff goes really fast here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna allow it. But I'm just, you know, I'm just saying. And I will say they're kind of smart because they're like, Aw, Mark, you're our nature specialist. You go in the plane and you'll be able to assess from the air if the runway is good or not. I'm like, fair enough. I'll accept that. Yeah. We know you don't die until the end, so go on this plane ride so we know at least one of you guys survives. I so thought somebody was going to die in that plane ride. Like, that was where I thought the first death was going to die. Yeah. I mean, you don't hear from them for a while, too, so you're just like, oh, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, they're like, oh, they're like looking at the radio, like, do you think we'll ever hear from them again? And then they cut to their plane (laughs) crashing on the runway. And I was like, no, nope. they're dead. Not they're good, dead. Not I don't good. know how Mark survives this, but he's dead too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why he wasn't able to give consent later. Yeah, he was still exactly <laughs> unconscious vegetable he's in a coma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, and I think around here is also when we learn more about Supari, and we get like because the Runa go and trade with him, or and he gets like coffee beans. He's like, aha, this is really, this is really something special. I think I could Cafe. make, I could make something really good with this because they like all of the smells. And so he started to form his plan it. of trying to climb the social ladder. Yeah. Is this, I think, uh, is this when we learn about the social structure of the Janaata? Is that a little bit later? I think this is about it. Okay. I loved the social structure and the world building that she had for the Donna to mm. now. It's really different than society. So in this society, Donna to the first and the second borns are the only ones who are allowed to have children. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. Supari is a third born. So third borns go into business. The first borns, I believe go into politics and the second borns go into religion in this world. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Basically, the ability to have children is a huge symbol of social status, right? If you are allowed to have children, Mm -hmm. you are an incredibly important person. It either means you're in one of those two roles or you are the founder of a new lineage, which is Supari's dream for himself. He wants to establish his place in this world to be so important that he is allowed to have children despite being a third born. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yep. You have to, like, apply for it in everything. Mm-hmm. You get the impression it's only granted to, like, re- you have to really do something special. It's not mm-hmm. to really impress people, basically. Yeah. So keeping this newfound discovery a secret, and therefore the foreigners a secret, 
is going to be something that's really important to him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. He's thinking about how to use this yep. to get that new lineage for himself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Supari comes first. Yep. We can go back to Mark and Sophia and their crash. I liked Mark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mark, he's the one who wakes up first, and like they're he can tell they're both injured. Sophia's still unconscious, and he's like, you know, I could check. I bet her ribs. There's probably something wrong with her ribs, but I I can't check her ribs. That that would be improper. I can't do that. <laughs> I'm not. I yes. I'm a Jesuit priest. I can't do that. <laughs> Uh, yes. Like, that part he killed me. Kinda, he, he just kind of lets her be, and I'm just like, "You're gonna risk I'm her like, dying." She could be dead. Yeah. <laughs> you could save her what life. What if she needed you to perform CPR? Like, come on. Or is bleeding out and needs like a wound to have pressure on it so she doesn't die immediately? Like, he just takes a yeah. big risk because he's feeling uncomfortable about being with a pretty lady. Yep. Yep. Thankfully, Sophia's fine. <laughs> I do think she does make a comment where she's like, next time, like, you can check if my ribs are okay. Like, please, like, check and, yes. like, give me first aid. Don't just leave me <laughs> there like that. That's not okay. Uh, but, oh, my God. But, yeah, there... That whole chapter, like, totally stressed me out. Yeah. Um. Oh, my God. Okay, so... Their uh, section of the chapter ends with Sophia going up in the lander by herself, which we already know Mark is alive at the end of the novel. Mm -hmm. So her going in the lander by herself was like, she's dead. Okay, she's dead. (laughs) And then it ends with Mark backing slowly away to the edge of the clearing of the forest. Mm -hmm. Like that's how the section ends. And then... Boom, cut to a DW storyline. Right. Storyline. Well, okay, so she goes up in the lander and earlier, like throughout the book, DW has made like random comments about how like we don't have a lot of fuel. We don't have a lot of fuel. And the whole time I was like, wait, you can't go in the lander. You don't have enough fuel to get back to the asteroid ship. And then that's exactly what yeah happens is they don't have enough fuel to get off of the planet anymore yep yep they were like like, they don't realize it and so then of course there's this whole moment where sophia's just ah crushed and like everybody's just so crushed and jimmy goes to comfort her and it was really sweet they were really sweet about it um, yeah. I thought they could have been really mean to her about it, but instead they were all like really crushed together mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, not blaming her. And I thought that was really sweet. And it just showed like how much they had like grown together as like yeah, a, Agreed. as a group. And I I hesitate to say family because I feel like if it were family, there would be a lot of blame going around. <laughs> They're definitely at that level of intimacy, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing with George, too, is starts to blame himself, right? Because yes. he, when they had mm-hmm. land, come down, had done some feral rolls and basically played mm-hmm. around with the lander and potentially yeah. used up the fuel, which is the difference between getting off the planet and not getting off the planet. We don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Just maybe. But, yeah. but the group is, same thing, super duper sweet. And they're like... 
we didn't say anything to stop you. You know, mm-hmm. don't yeah. don't even sweat it. Which I don't know that kind of empathy, especially at a time when literally all of them are going. We stay here now. This is our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Pretty impressive. I, I, yeah. And they're still trying to be, like, a little hopeful because they're like, well, we still haven't met the singers yet. They seem clearly more advanced because they have the radio signals. So mm-hmm. maybe there's a possibility of manufacturing more fuel. Uh, maybe we can do some kind of calculations to try and figure out, like, the best time and play, like, how to do this. Um so there's still, like, a little bit of hope, but they are very much, like, kind of resigning themselves to that this is where we are now. I don't know how I would feel, but, like, so, like, you kind of sign up for this mission already knowing that you might not be coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's that there's a slim chance you might not be coming back. There's just too much that can go wrong. So I feel like when faced with that kind of reality, you're just happy to be alive, you know? right. You're like, well, plus, I mean, Sophia and Mark are, like, all bruised up. Like, Mm -hmm. they're not in great shape. So I think you're also kind of glad that they're alive, too, and that they made it back safely. Yeah. Yeah. Silver lining. Yeah. I don't know. You kind of have to, like, look at the good when you're in those type of survival situations anyway, you know? Yeah, just to keep your... Or you're going to go crazy. Exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, they meet Supari for the first time. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, Emilio's got some moves. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Supari immediately, like, attacks. Because, I like, we get his commentary, and he keeps referring to these people as monsters. (laughs) Like, what are these monsters, like, doing here? Because the Runa never explained to him that... Like, this is where we're getting this cool, like, new smell from, like, these coffee beans from, and so... Yeah, mm-hmm. they just call them the foreigners, right? So we got yeah, these I from think foreigners. So. Yeah. Like, he's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, cool. That's nice. But, but yeah, mm-hmm. so his first instinct is to attack them. But yeah, you're right, Emilio had some moves. He was able to take him down and avoid being, like, eviscerated, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just... And this is, like, a creature that's, like, two times the size of a, of a human, yeah. at least, mm-hmm. you know? With like- Just someone who's a very large. Yeah, with, like, mm-hmm. a foot long claws, right, on his yes. hands. Yes, yes, yes. And big teeth. <laughs> yeah, very much looks like a predator. Like, Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it ends up in them having a dinner party, so, I mean... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all ends well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the coffee yep. <laughs> is passed around. Smell the coffee. <laughs> yep. That's, we learned that smells yep. are very, very important to the Janata. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense for a predator that smell is their primary uh, sense, it seems like. So mm-hmm. exotic or strange scents are really highly valued. And you can tell. Supari thinks mm-hmm. about, like, just how much freaking money he can make yes yeah he takes all their like cumin and lilac i don't know like some other nice smelling things that they happen to have on the lander this is also when supari and Anne start to really bond right they do yes 
I love that. I thought it was sweet, weird dynamic that the two of them had, but they mm-hmm. had a really good give and take, and it genuinely seems like Supari likes Anne. Um, yes. Like, doesn't just like her the best or think she's the most useful. He seems to genuinely care about her and enjoy being in her company. Yeah. Which is super weird because he's otherwise pretty cold and calculating. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about him in this. I kind of don't like him. Mm. That's fair. Mm. But do you like him, Hannah? Um, <laughs> do you like I, him? I think it's hard because you know that, like, even though it is a misunderstanding, you know how, like, horribly he mutilated, like, Mark and, and Emilio, so... I don't know. And, and you know that Emilio ends up um, working in, in the brothel and you know it has something to do with Supari and it's just like, I don't know if I... So not really a like yeah. for him. I, I think, like you said, I think his relationship with Anne at this point in the story is very sweet. Um, yeah. But still very suspicious of him. <laughs> yeah. We we talked about it a little bit earlier about like the predator prey relationship, and we yeah. we get that yeah. like later. But this is where we really learn that like the Janata are the ones like I wrote in my nose that they're awful, like that they're breeding the Runa to be domesticated, yeah. and so you're already and which should have been a huge clue as to like other things that were to come. So I yeah. don't know how I missed that because I straight up wrote in my nose that they're domesticated, and I know what domesticated animals. Anyway. I just, it's, it's just really frustrating because you see how they're looking down on the, the Runa and the Runa are your introduction to this alien world and you feel like you like them. You, you know that they're these sweet people who might get a little too close physically at times. That is, com- like, <laughs> makes it uncomfortable for humans, but they're just these very sweet aliens and mm-hmm. you start to find out that they're not in the best place on this planet. Yeah. Exactly. So basically, the Janata will choose mates for the Runa. So the mm-hmm. Runa are allowed to choose who they marry, but they're not allowed to choose who they mate with. Yeah. The Janata choose who they mate with. Um, and that's how they're like domesticated animals. I mean, and then also everything... I mean, the Runa work for the Janata, like everything that they gather, you know, when they go out to the fields every day, that work and that produce is for the Janata mm-hmm. in the cities, basically. There's, mm-hmm. um, there's a really cool quote about go ahead. that idea that I love from towards the end of the book. Um, when Emilio mm-hmm. is talking with Giuliani and Candati, and I think it's Candati who says the passive voice, I wondered about it when I read it. Dr. Edwards said that their mates were chosen using criteria other than those for choosing spouses. And I think that same thing is, like, I didn't notice either or put together, like, these are domesticated animals. They're not in a state of having a lot of freedom, I'll say. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's that passive voice without the by the Jana Ada. It's just easy to miss and easy not to put those that two and two together about how much the Runa's lives or the Runao lives are controlled by the Janata. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh, so sad. We can also talk about like their um uh I guess the gender dichotomy a little bit. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. 
Um, oh, and we can go back to Jimmy as well in this too, why they kept <laughs> mentioning his height. So the women are, are you know, quote unquote, women um, in their group are very tall and they are the ones who go out and work all day and they uh, do trade. They're the ones who go out in the fields. The men stay at home with the children mm-hmm. and are the smaller. So visually, it's really hard to tell the men and the women apart besides height. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know this, then you don't know who a male or a female are. Mm-hmm. So they're assuming... Um, the caretaker that's been with Oskama this whole time has been the mom. Mm-hmm. But it has been, in fact, her dad. Yeah, <laughs> and there was a part, because uh, I was yeah. confused if I was missing the pronouns or what, because there's one scene where you have them talking about, you know, um, Oskama's mother there at camp with them, but then you have um, Supari, like, trading with her mother, and I was like, why yeah, are you referring us. to <laughs> this one? as a she but they were referring to like the other one and so i was just like am i missing something and i guess i was purpose like it was on purpose like yeah it's because they're using the correct pronouns while they the humans have mistakenly gendered Mm -hmm. the alien species yes yes i love this and that's why when they first land they think that jimmy is a woman Mm -hmm. um Mm-hmm. <laughs> and think he's obviously he's a woman and one of the leaders of the group because he is the tallest. Mm-hmm. Lo- yes, and all of their mothers. Yes, yes. <laughs> but they're all his children. They think Emilio is a child, right? Because he's so yeah. Short. Because because the children of the Runa are the ones like who do the translating, and so since Emilio was the one doing the translating, they were like, clearly, you are a child. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And they're like, Jimmy, why don't you carry everyone? Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere. I love George too gets all offended because they say, like, they can't figure you out, George. They think you're a woman because you're tall, but you also really like children, which makes you like a man. So they just they mm-hmm. don't know what your gender is. And he gets all like offended <laughs> that his manhood's been insulted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Which cracks me up. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love how it's so like ambiguous mm-hmm. and just kind of like role reversed and just, oh, yeah. it's so great. Mm-hmm. I love the whole Jimmy thing too. Like everyone just assumes he's a mom, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. everyone's mother, and the leader of the group just because he's the tallest. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. <laughs> It's so adorable. And a good example of how the Runa are like, they're very intelligent for. Like, if we compare with them to, like, deer or cows or something like that. But they're not up to, like, a human level of intelligence, right? They still think in relatively simplistic terms to an extent. Mm-hmm. You know, the tallest is the leader kind of idea. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. This would tie into it to one of my other favorite world-building parts of this book, which is the predator-prey, like, their theory about how the two of them evolved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So their theory, right, is that the... Mm-hmm, Vanaata look like female Runa. Mm-hmm. They have longer teeth and longer claws, oh, yeah. but otherwise they look very, very similar. And the theory is that back before these were completely intelligent, civilized species, the way this would work is the Runa would travel in groups with the largest females on the outside of the group, and the Janaata would sneak up and basically try to blend in with the female Runa, 
and grab somebody who's a smaller, either a man or a child, from the center of the group where the more vulnerable people went and would eat them. And mm-hmm. that's also the theory about why there are two intelligent species, because the Runa into- developed their intelligence first because they were such social creatures, and the Janaada developed it to remain good predators for these groups, which is just cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was pretty neat when I was, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool too. I don't know. I think Anne, I wanted to see her because she was an anthropologist first or was she going back to school now because she was into anthropology? Because remember, she was taking classes with Emilio. Like that's how she met Emilio. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, anyway, remember. she was also into anthropology. Um, So I think that's also what drew her to this planet. And maybe that's what drew her into Sapari. And why they got along just because of her curiosity and he recognized that curiosity in her Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he respected it, you know, Yeah. as someone who's curious about all new things, you know. Mm -hmm. So Sapari promises to take them to the main trade. I guess it's the main trade city, which is Geyser. Um. But he keeps delaying it. Yeah. I mean, he, he's like, it'll be a year probably. You know, I mean, it's still so delayed that it's a year before that he can take anyone. Mm-hmm. And even then, it's only, I think, four people? Or it's... It's, it's, it's George, Mark, and Jimmy end up going because... so. Oh, Some okay. things that happened before, because Jimmy and Sophia end up getting together and getting married. Like, oh, Sophia yeah. and Emilio right. end up just, like, ending their relationship. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's a lot to do with Emilio and, and his faith and how so much has, like, happened and how so much of this seems like this is God's, like, plan for them and that this is, like, all of these great things have happened to him and it happened because of his his like growing faith in God. And so he's like, I can't I can't go back on my vows now. I, I think is kind mm-hmm. of the the feeling there. So he he lets her lets her go. Um and so she gets with Jimmy and then she she gets pregnant and, and so then that's uh why she's not necessarily the one going to the city. Um mm-hmm. also another thing I, I wrote this down. Um was that the Runa at one point start to garden because they saw the um, humans oh, yeah. gardening. Yeah. So I had yeah, written that the down. humans start gardening. Mm-hmm. Which the group starts... Which is another important thing. Yeah. <laughs> very, very important detail. Which, oh my god, you don't realize how important this is till later. But... I know. Yeah. I I just wrote it down as like, oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, of course they would see these people garden, and of course they would want to start to garden. And as another one of the things where like I should have realized, because you know how much like the agricultural revolution is like a big thing, and how much that affects civilizations. So like I should have been able to put together that yeah. that was going to have some I mean, major it's a impact reason for civilization. You know? Yeah. I mean, they think like either bread or beer is the reason for civilization you know mm-hmm. and either one of those it's because we started planting grain yeah you know mm-hmm. i think in my head i just assumed that um, they had gardens and this was normal and just maybe these people didn't know how to garden 
right? Like, maybe mm, this is fair. just something about Kashan. They're just traders that this isn't how they make their living. Like, I don't garden. That's not how I mm-hmm. get my food. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know that the ja- Janata, they garden, but it's only for scents. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not for food. Yeah. Um. So this is the first time that they've gardened for food. And when the humans started gardening, okay, we learn also that the Runa are capable of sarcasm, <laughs> yeah. which is like a really minor thing, but I loved it. <laughs> I laughed so hard because they are laughing at the humans because yes. to them, it looks like they're just spooning dirt and turning it over. And they're like, this is so stupid. They're like, ah, oh, the dirt is much better that way. Big improvement. <laughs> <laughs> I love the snark. That was good. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh my god. I was like, aliens, they're so funny. (laughs) I love them. Oh, I love the Runa so much. Mm -hmm. They're so sweet. They're so cute. Mm -hmm. That was the other big thing that Supari did when he came to visit, was he kind of explained some things to the Runa about like, Mm -hmm. hey, these guys are kind of like me. They need a little bit of privacy and a little bit of personal space. And they like to have like, they like a den, basically. So Mm -hmm. after that, the Runa happily gave them a couple of rooms that were just for the humans. And they were able to set up life with a little bit more structure and normalcy Mm -hmm. instead of having to basically like, which room in this crazy place is empty because I cannot listen to Runa talk anymore. Because mm-hmm. I love them, but oh my god, they talk all the time. So Supari really did help them out. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, he really does seem to like them and enjoy mm-hmm. their company. Like, he comes by all the time to hang out with them. Mm-hmm. And get more coffee. He's addicted. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Though he is still keeping them very secret, because when they do go to the uh, city, he's like, yeah, we're going to just keep you out of sight. Like, (laughs) we're not going to let anybody see you. Sure, we can find a chemist for you to talk to, Jimmy, because you're still thinking about fuel for the lander, but otherwise we're going to keep you all pretty hidden. Yeah, and the chemist they find is someone who makes perfume. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Which which is strange, but they're able to show him a periodic table and mm-hmm. I mean it it helps. Yeah. So, that's nice. I mean, in a world where the <laughs> scent is everything, I could see the most talented chemists going into making perfumes cuz that's probably where the money's at. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. I buy that. Um, okay, so wait, going back to the gardening thing. Um, okay, so they do mention some of the changes that happen. So fat levels rise. Um, and they grow really gossipy and rowdy. Because of not having to march to the fields every day, they can just go out to the garden, pick their food, they don't have to work out as much, you know, They don't have to spend so much time working. So you already kind of get a sense that some problems are arising. They're getting Mm -hmm. a little fatter. They're getting a little rowdy. A little bit more sexual. Yeah. They mentioned there's a lot of babies born during this period of time. Yeah. Back to Geyser. Um, I don't know if anything else really happens in Geyser. Well, 
Jimmy George and Mark. I mean, the only other thing is Mark. Mark he okay. he has like a day out where oh, yeah. he's all disguised in a robe and he's supposed to pretend he's an old lady, I think, is what Super <laughs> tells him. That's what I have yeah. written down. Um, and then, yeah, uh, the way I describe this, and I can't remember if this is even accurate. So <laughs> what I wrote down was he basically gets high from these like fumes and then he witnesses some of the Runa being executed. But he's like not quite sure what's happening and if that's really what he saw. So he saw something, but because of like the fumes and everything, he's not positive what exactly he saw yeah i had to reread that scene like three times and i still yeah i might have to reread it actually now that you've mentioned that happening i remember at the time (laughs) thinking this is clearly really important like mark thought it Mm -hmm. was a uh, might be a religious ceremony of some sort yeah Mm -hmm. but it was really confusing what was happening which you know, once you finish the book, you're like, oh, yeah, that was intentionally supposed to be confusing because yes. a bit too much would have been given away otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Mark, is, Mark feels extremely unsettled. That's like the one thing he feels really certain about is he yes. did not feel good about the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which helps him survive as long as he does later. Yeah. At least there's that. Mm-hmm. Well, they start their journey back. They get back. And so their whole journey um, is kind of overshadowed, too. Like, they kind of expect to come back and find DW has died Mm -hmm. just because he was so close to death. But DW wanted them to go on this journey just because Supari had postponed so many times that he thought that if they didn't take him up this time, then it would never happen. So he was like, don't worry about me. I mm-hmm. probably will be dead by the time you get back, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, just go. Um, so they come back. Everyone is waiting by the dock. And so they're like, uh, DW died. But then someone gives George a weird look. And then he's just automatically like, oh, Anne too. And I'm like, what? Like, you just are assuming Anne is dead? Like, this is kind of weird. I don't know why he expected Anne to be dead based on that look. Right. I mean, I think it's probably a combination of the look and Anne's not there. Like, where that's else would true. she be? <laughs> like, yeah. That's like, fair. She yeah. should be there, but she's not. Um, that scene freaking killed me. But, like... <sighs> the last time was, we yeah. saw Anne and DW, they were just sitting on, like, overlooking the vista by the cliffs just Mm -hmm. having a perfectly nice Mm -hmm. conversation like dw was sick but like he was having a good day he was able to leave the house Mm -hmm. that day that was one of my notes was like wait did they fall off the cliff is that (laughs) did did she try to like pull him up and then oop they just like tumbled over (laughs) what Mm -hmm. happened um yeah, no. I could not. Uh, I could not wrap my mind about around it. I was like, there better be a good explanation for this. There, Ugh. there was. It destroyed me, though. Oh my god, just. I mean, was it a good explanation though? Just this weird, vague creature 
that is like a poacher essentially Mm -hmm. like killed them like is that what we're expected to believe like i don't know because it to me it seemed and it's like kind of vague but it seems like their bodies are like super mutilated but um i mean i assume they were killed by a creature that's kind of like sapari with like huge claws and teeth. Mm -hmm. yeah it's um by vahapta which are yes. Jana Atta, who are basically mm-hmm. social outcasts. They have either chosen yeah. or been forced to leave civilization and mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. survive by poaching Runa and occasionally humans, apparently. Well, now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Totally sucks out of left field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But they, uh, they bury their bodies right away and, um, yeah, they're just gone. It's crazy. Um, but that's like kind of the beginning of the end. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um I think we jump back to Naples now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and this is where Emilio is saying that it was the gardens that was the mistake, that fatal mm-hmm. error that you've all been waiting for. Um because like we mentioned earlier, the gardens, like it upset the breeding balance that uh, the Janata yes. had going. And so um, because of that, the uh, they were having babies when they shouldn't have been having babies, uh, according to the Janata. And so that led to the problems that then came after. Yeah. Remember all that rowdiness before? <laughs> and I do think there was one interesting thing that I wrote down was that Supari didn't really realize that the gardens were for food. He just thought they were kind of like a decorative thing because he's a carnivore. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Which was another clue. I wrote that down. <laughs> I was like, it's very clear right there. Yeah. <laughs> How am I not yeah. putting it together yet? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So he, so he didn't know, so he wasn't able to, like, warn them. Exactly. That, like, hey, guys, this is bad. Yeah. But, like, I mean, still, Sapari should have noticed, like, a bunch of new babies, right? I think by then it's too late. Yeah. They've all, <laughs> they've all had the babies. It's too late. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's what Emilio was saying, too. He was like, even after mm-hmm. I put it together, it was, like, or, he, no, he was saying, like, if I had put it together in that moment, it would have mm-hmm. been too late. Yeah. And so then this is the chapter where I say, like, it's you see all of these events off screen just because we're getting Emilio describing it to the people at the hearing in Naples, like mm-hmm. in the future. So um, he he then goes on to describe how um, they were all ordered to bring all the babies forward and that they were, all of the babies were going to be killed and that. You know, Sophia realized what was happening and was like, this is not okay. Like, there are more of us. We shouldn't stand for this. And then it's just described as a bloodbath. And I don't know. It's one of those things where I don't know. I, I feel like, again, my way of thinking of it is you've waited this whole book. You're in like the last 50 pages and you're finally getting to these last few deaths of Jimmy and Sophia and and, um, uh, and George George. and and you're getting to these last few deaths. And then it's just a couple sentences of Emilio saying and I get why Emilio himself wouldn't go into all of these like super gory details. That makes perfect sense. But I feel like for me, I'm like, I've been waiting this whole book to find out what happened. And now I just get like a little paragraph. (laughs) And then it's done. Yeah. 
And you know Sophia is, like, super pregnant here, yes. too. So, no, but it, like, literally is one sentence with three of their names in it. Yes. It says, yes. Sophia, Jimmy, and George die. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, what? Like, really? Like, all three of them are dead? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, but, like, how did they die? Or I guess they just got slashed apart. Yeah, yeah. we just know that they're killed in the riot that ensues. Because mm-hmm. I guess the Janata don't have guns or swords or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, have their claws are basically swords. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. But oh. I wish we saw more of the moment when Sophia decides to resist. The little that we get mm-hmm. is yeah. so great. Like, Yes. Like, Amelia refers to her as an Eshet Chayil, which is a Hebrew phrase, and I am sure my pronunciation was horrible. Sorry, everybody. Um, but they say it means a woman of valor, which mm-hmm. I love. Mm-hmm. And she steps up and starts to chant, we are many, they are few. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is just so yep. cool. Like, man. Yeah. What a, mm-hmm. Absolutely. What a tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like that becomes like the phrase of their revolution, mm-hmm. yes. like as the civil war persists, yeah. which is even cooler. Yeah. Um, we we do get like this switch of um, where Emilio before was just saying those like couple sentences about how everybody died, and then we do almost get that switch in perspective as if he is like back there in that time, and we see what's happening with him. And how, like, he was with um, Askama, and, like, that's why he, like, was able to escape. Like, he was protecting her. And how Mark himself, he just ran. Which, fair, I mean. Uh, And then we hear about how they're both taken prisoner. Yeah. I totally get Mark's position on running. Like, you're going up against these, like, ten feet tall monsters with, like, foot-long blades as fingers. And... Like, what kind of weapons were Sophia, Jimmy, and George even using? Like, there was only one Winchester, like, and I don't even think they had the Winchester out. It was kept in the lander, and this was, like, a total surprise. Yeah. I mean, even only then, they had one for the four of them, or five, whatever. But, like, still. Yeah. What are you going to do? Like, bad at them? Like... Right. What are you doing? And Mark kind of knew what was coming before it happened, too. Like, when they all go out, when the Runa go out and bring everybody together in the circle. Yeah. Mark is, because he had seen what he had seen in Geiger, he doesn't know what's going on, but he is way fidgety. He is real scared. Yeah. Like, the -hmm. little prey part of his brain is firing Mm -hmm. and going, like, this is gonna be Mm -hmm. bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh. And then poor Mark, because once they are taken prisoner and, you know, they see all of this stuff that has happened, he he's thinking all about, because, like, the gardens were his idea, because, again, he's, like, the nature specialist there, and so mm-hmm. they were his idea, and because of those gardens, the breeding went mm-hmm. way differently than it was supposed to, and, and that's what led to this whole situation, so he's feeling very guilty about that. And then we finally get the the last like major reveal of that the food that the Janaata are eating is the Runa. And so that's what they have to feed the prisoners. And of course, Mark, he's refusing to eat, so 
he he and Emilio do not eat the same stuff because Mark refuses, but Emilio does. I don't I don't know if he does it at first, but he does eventually end up eating the food mm-hmm. that is provided. I think at first Emilio was too traumatized to put together what it yeah. was. Um and he's saying like That's yeah, fair. Mark keeps saying to him like Il Sonle's innocent, but Yes. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that yeah. part. And Emilio mentions, mm-hmm. which I love, this French is the only language he can read, but he can't really speak. So he didn't know mm-hmm. what he was saying mm-hmm. until a couple weeks in. And at that point, he compares it to, like, somebody who's gotten 800 lashes, um, where you're 500 in. Yes. It's just, like, the beating at that point. You can't even feel the pain. So he knew by the time mm-hmm. he realized what he was eating, he was too numb to care. Mm-hmm. Yeah god dark. yeah but since all the villages had taken up gardening mm-hmm. yeah they had to go village to village it was a massacre mm-hmm. everyone and sophia's chant had started to make its way around so they resisted and the bloodbath was even worse than it would have been mm-hmm. otherwise like it sounds mm-hmm. rough yeah yeah it was really bad um eventually sapari got word of this and came and rescued them but i mean it was a long time like they had gone through a lot of villages before sapari mm-hmm. had come finally mm-hmm. yep so sapari takes him back to geyser where he keeps them and then the procedure happens mm-hmm. yeah eventually mm-hmm. and i assume that's the uh that's the penance that i mean i assume that sapari had to make some sort of deal with the patrol in order to keep them safe yeah and that was hey we're gonna kind of make them useless and dependent on me yeah i take responsibility for their actions from here on out is Mm -hmm. basically what it was he mentions he pays off the guard too um yes I think it's a both like here I'm paying you for these prisoners and also I'm taking responsibility like mm-hmm. to a certain extent it sounds like buying them as slave like not slaves in the sense that he was going to force them to work but in the sense that he now had ownership of them yes yeah I mean he definitely controlled their destiny yeah um, yep. even at first though after he takes them like Obviously, the Hasta Akala isn't great, but as we mentioned, it seems yeah. like Supari doesn't know that it's going to be horrible. Um, and I think he mentions, like, it's not this bad for Jana Atta when this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more mm-hmm. like getting, like, a bird getting its wings clipped than a horribly traumatic procedure, is the impression that I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Amelia says, like, at the beginning of the book, like, they just have nerves in different places yes. or something he suspected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be intending to hor- horribly disfigure them and certainly isn't intending to kill Mark. Right. And he- yeah, especially because he does seem fond of Mark mm-hmm. in, to an extent, yeah. you know. And even if- As someone who likes art. Yeah. And even after his death, like, he treats Emilio like a true companion. Like, he teaches him Kassan. Emilio says they have, like, intellectual mm-hmm. conversations. Mm-hmm. Like, he seems to genuinely try to keep his spirits up to a certain extent. Yeah. Well, and then he has uh, Emilio teach him English as yes. well. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I don't know, he kind of gets a sense that he's just gonna, like, there might be other visitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I don't know. Or at least Emilio thought that's what Sapari was thinking. Doesn't can't remember, but I think Supari at one point asks him, like, will there be others? And Emilio says, like, well, maybe. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so we kind of get to the, like, end game of Supari, where he's finally like, okay, I've figured out how I can get everything that I want. Where he, if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, we, we meet um, the, like, poet, the singer, um, Clavin Kithari? We meet, we meet the singer, um, the poet, and and Supari basically, like I don't know, sells Emilio to him, and and Emilio at first is feeling like, yes, okay, this all makes sense. Like you're the one who started this all. Clearly, this is where I'm meant to be. Clearly, this is mm-hmm. great. Like this is going to be awesome. Oh. And then yeah. it's not. And oh. But Supari at least gets everything that he wants, I guess. He's now able, like, he gets a marriage. He's going to get to have children. Um, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Emilio is just here and left with this poet and sold into the brothel. There's, there's a line that just, like, destroyed me the first time I read it, um, where Emilio says, that is why I'm alive, he told himself, and he thanked God with all his soul mm-hmm. for allowing him to be here at this moment to understand mm-hmm. all this at last. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, man. Yeah, right before getting brutally raped. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then we have the Father General um, really forcing Emilio to very clearly state that he did not give consent and that he was raped. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what more do you need, Giuliani? Come on. Yeah, it's frustrating because, like, especially earlier, I can't remember if it was him or if it was that Volkner again, but somebody, uh, I didn't write down who, but somebody was doing more of the victim blaming of, like, well, you did nothing to cause your removal from Supari? Like, oh, Giuliani's the one who like, asked that. I think that Is he was the one Volker. who said that? And it's just so frustrating. Okay. <laughs> like, how do you still not get that this is not... This was not something that Emilio wanted. I wasn't sure yeah, if, seriously. if he was doing that to victim blame or to provoke Emilio. That's what I'm not sure. And <laughs> I don't know. I, I get, like, wanting to have things stated out loud and, and having him, like, very, very clearly recognize what happened to him. But it also just feels mm-hmm. very cruel to force this man who's already been through so much. Yeah. To stand there and think these things and say these things. Um, yeah, Reyes yeah. calls Giuliani on that and is like, dude, that that was cruel. Why? And yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I bought Giuliani's explanation, but he says it was necessary. If he were an artist, I'd have ordered him to paint it. If he were a poet, I'd have ordered him to write it. Because he is who he is, I made him speak of it. It was necessary, and it was yeah. necessary for us to hear it. And I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. It seems like Giuliani's playing a little bit of God himself right there. Like he's decided mm-hmm. what Emilio needs. Yeah. And I don't Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that. This is where I go back on Giuliani. One for the um con column. I don't know. Sometimes I think Giuliani is defending him against like the world and against, you know the the others in the room but i mean who's gonna defend people you know who's gonna defend 
him against Vincenzo, you know? Mm. Yeah. Agreed. I don't know. Emilio does thank him for, like, pushing him to do that and does seem to be thankful he had that experience, but... Right. I don't know. So it's hard to say, does Giuliani just know Emilio well enough that he... Like, he knew he would feel better and knew he needed this catharsis? Or is mm. he just kind of being a jerk and assuming he knows what's for his best and he got lucky? Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, they do bond. Like, they do have several moments in the office where they're by themselves behind closed doors. You know, and sometimes we get glimpses of their conversation, but we don't get the whole picture, you know? And so maybe they are, like, in their own way, like, really getting to know each other and their own, like, argument styles and, like, really Mm -hmm. pushing each other's buttons and getting to know how far they can push each other each time they meet with each other. And Vincenzo has been staying up with Emilio, you know, every night through his nightmares, you know? Right. So maybe he is really getting to know him and, you know, throughout this entire experience and at the end really does know what he needs yeah but i still don't know if i agree with it (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah then we get the final reveal where emilio is only going to say this to john he asks pretty much everybody else to leave and so then we find out about why it is that he ended up killing Oscar and how it was just he had been stuck in that brothel for so long um had to endure all of that and he had reached the point where he was just like whoever walks through that door next I I have to kill them and by proxy hopefully get myself killed as well um so that I can end all of this and then it just happens that and the one who walks girl. through. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. He, oh my God. He talks about like he's already in motion when he recognizes it's mm-hmm. her and tries to stop himself, but because his hands don't work, he can't do anything to cushion the force. Mm-hmm. And oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. It's heartbreaking. <sighs> she calls him Milo when she's dying, and mm-hmm. I just. Oh. I definitely cried. What did she say? It's something like, Milo, I found your friends for you. Yeah. Oh, Oh. my God. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know what's going to happen, like, the whole novel, but, like, Mm -hmm. I hope it doesn't. (laughs) Mm. Right? Maybe she's immune to death. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's a thing. (laughs) Yeah. And then we, we end the book with uh, Giuliani being like, yeah, I'm going to send another group there. Emilio, come on, like, hop on to this idea. <laughs> and I'm just like, you, you want to be our pilot? Awful man. <laughs> you awful, awful man. No. Yeah. Sandoz oh. does not need to go. <laughs> and he, he, Emilio himself says that it's too soon, but... It's infuriating. Yeah. Poor Emilio. Yeah. Uh, So (laughs) I will say there's another reason that this book just doesn't quite sit well with me. And it's because I was (laughs) I was looking up the author and, and everything about this book after I had finished it. And I found this interview that's on her website 
uh, where she explains the reasoning for why she wrote this novel in the first place. So here is the quotation. She said, I started The Sparrow in 1992, which was the 500th anniversary of Columbus's landing in the New World. That year, there was a lot of historical revisionism going on, condemning the Europeans for their terrible sins and mistakes, as though they had set out from Spain intending to wreck Indian culture and destroy whole populations. I thought, wait a minute here, those guys have been dead for 470 years. It's not fair to hold them to standards of cultural sensitivity and appreciation for diversity that we only pay lip service to at the end of the 20th century. So she wanted... She wanted to write a first contact story. She wrote, um, there is no way to do first contact right, which may be fair, but um, (laughs) I just, I have a lot of problems with people who argue that you can't hold people in the past to today's standards. Like, Columbus definitely didn't do anything to help the indigenous people. And in fact, was quite abusive and allowed people to be quite abusive towards them. So (laughs) I'm pretty sure preservation of culture was far from the front of his mind. And instead, he was just focused on the money and the power. So that learning that reasoning for the writing of this book, I have to be (laughs) honest, I know it has nothing to do with necessarily like the the book itself and, and the words on the page and all of that. But hearing that really frustrated me <laughs> and made yeah. me very angry. That is infuriating, <laughs> especially because with what we know of Columbus now, he had a lot more in common with the Vanata than he did with yes. the humans, right? Like, yes. He was fine yes. with enslavement. Yeah. He was all yes. for it, in fact. And he set out on the mission. Like He pitched it to the royals. as like, here's how much money I think I'm going to be able to make yes. with all of the stuff I'm going to bring back. Like. Exactly. None of the ideals of this crew. (sighs) Exactly. With trade being Mm. heavily on his mind, you know, like the John Atta. Yes. So so that made me really mad. And honestly, that was like enough to drop a whole star rating at least for me because I was was really frustrated by that. That is super frustrating (laughs) to hear. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that really sucks. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely be reading the second book with a different lens, but um <laughs> Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> but it's a it's a more knowledgeable lens and uh maybe a more 90s point of view. Um definitely a more ignorant point of view, but uh yeah. Um so now is the part of the podcast where we go around in a circle and we recommend books that or movies or shows or content that are is similar to this book. And Hannah's going to go first this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have recommended it before, but I'll just briefly mention um, Babel 17 by Samuel R. Delaney, um, another sci-fi book yeah. that has a lot uh, to do with language. Uh, so that would be the tie-in with that. And then... Yes, I've been wanting to read that. It's so good. Um, and then my other recommendation is To Be Taught If Fortunate by Becky Chambers. 
Uh, it's a novella about a group of scientists who are visiting these four different planets to study the planets. And so they are very aware that just by being there, they are impacting the planets. But they also have all of these things that they do that um, works to limit their impact. And so this book is very very character-driven. Um, not a lot of plot. The main focus is on the crew and the science. Um, this novella made me cry a bunch of times. <laughs> and <laughs> as with all Becky Chambers' books, uh, the world building is amazing. And there are awesome queer characters. Uh, the ending could bother some people. Uh, the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. But I could see the ending not being as concrete as people would want it to be. So, yeah. That is my Sweet. recommendation. I'm going to have to put Babel 17 on my list. Amazing. I hadn't heard of that one before. Nice. Yes. Okay. Um, Abigail, what would you like to recommend? <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm going to recommend a book called Station Eleven by Emily St. John mm. Mendel. This is mm. one of my all-time favorite books. It's another speculative fiction. I don't think it would quite characterize as sci-fi. It's more dystopian. Uh, it centers around three characters. Kirsten, Jeevan, and Miranda, who are in different periods of time. So if you really liked the way that time was played with in The Sparrow, I think you're also going mm. to really appreciate that in Station Eleven. And the three characters are all in different periods of time surrounding a catastrophic pandemic. So word to the wise, if you're currently feeling some pandemic anxiety, maybe leave this on your shelf for another year or two because it does wipe out all of civilization. <laughs> But if, if you think that you can handle it, it is an excellent read. One character, it starts her storyline several years before the pandemic and leads up to the very mm. beginning. One is in the immediate before, during, and after the pandemic. And one is 10, 15 years later when civilization has basically collapsed and what we see is the things that are starting to build up again. Mm. Um, so in addition to playing with time in the same way that the Sparrow did, you also have a lot of really good character studies and character relationships that are really deep and complicated and really touching in the same way that they were in the sparrow so if those sorts of elements appeal to you i think you will like station 11 nice great yeah that's definitely on my tbr list awesome isn't there also like a cult element in it there is a cult element in it yeah <laughs> it's got a little of all Ooh. the fun stuff <laughs> awesome Christina tell us your recommendation <laughs> oh my god Hannah I would love to um, so my recommendation is a trilogy the third book is not out yet so boo but it's supposed to be out in May um, so it is the the first book in the trilogy, sorry, is called A Dead Gin in Cairo. I've definitely mm. recommended this before, I think, on our year-end podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I recently read the second book in that series called A Haunting of Tramcar 15. Um, and this is by P. Jelly Clark. P. Jelly Clark. Um, very good trilogy. Uh, Sci-fi for sure um set in this like futuristic steampunk cairo which is 
which sounds strange, but um, there's like a ministry of magic sort of thing, um, a ministry of like supernatural beings, and it follows two investigators who belong to that ministry. Um, and each book, their short novels, um, follow uh, a different mystery involving that. Uh, very sci-fi, um, very supernatural. The first involves a djinn, a second, um, a type of supernatural being that's specific to Turkey. So you kind of learn about supernatural beings from other cultures, which is kind of cool. Um, I don't know. I recommend it. Kind of has a similar feel, which is kind of strange to say, considering they're very two different types of novels, just both sci-fi. Mm. Um, but I definitely recommend the third book is going to be like 500 pages. So a full novel. Um, the world building, even though they're only like 100 pages, is immense, like very dense, um, very good. I love it. The world building that PGLA Clark does is amazing. Nice. Highly recommend. Yes. Hannah, what are we reading next time? So next time we will be reading The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson, trying to follow through on the goal that Christina set for me to read more horror. So here is this horror book. (laughs) for us to read next (laughs) yay (laughs) yay i have a feeling it's not going to be totally scary hopefully (laughs) maybe just a little (laughs) we shall see yeah (laughs) awesome that sounds great hannah all of our contact and social media information is going to be in the show notes please rate and review us on itunes until next time don't forget to treat yourself (laughs) 